You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. I want to just tell you that everything you've heard about the Father this morning is true. You might be thinking, this isn't my experience of fatherhood. This, this feels like uh, lovely, but okay, it's just lovely. You might be thinking, it just seems a little bit far-fetched. I want to tell you this morning, it is true. He really is that good. He really is that generous. He really is that kind. He really is that loving. And he really does see you this morning. He really does see whatever your week has been. He really does see whatever your deepest hurts are. He really does see whatever your most far-fetched dreams are. He really does see you, and he really does love you. Great, I think that's me done, I think. (laughs) Thank you, band. Great. Okay, so this morning... I have the joy of continuing our Father series for us this morning and uh, giving you just a little bit more of the picture of the God we are privileged to call Father. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Trinity always reflect and glorify one another. And when we see the nature of Jesus in the Gospels, it speaks to much of who the Father is and how he loves us. Jesus was well known for angering the status quo. He angered the Pharisees so much that eventually they had him killed. And where we'll be reading today in Luke, we see Jesus doing something that really frustrated the Pharisees, maybe even the most, and that was mingling with sinners. The Pharisees were lovers of the law because they believed it made them high above everyone else. And all their sense of justice was overthrown when they saw this man who called himself the son of God eating with the very people they thought were irredeemable. So Jesus responds with a few stories. He tries to explain to the Pharisees through these stories what the heart of the Father is in loving these sinners, in calling them his own, in making them whole. And the one we're going to look at today is the lost son, a parable that Jesus delivers to the Pharisees. So open your Bibles to Luke 15 verse 11 if you'd like. It's also going to be in the screen and we will read together. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kid it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that we get to come and call the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, Dad. That you call us sons and daughters. Father, we thank you that you have spoken this morning of your great love for us. The lengths you are willing to go to to show that love. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts to hear you this morning that we would know exactly what it is, Holy Spirit, that you have for each of us, and we would leave changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. So here we find a family, a father, two sons. They're a wealthy family. We know this because they have land, they have livestock, they have hired servants. They're doing okay for themselves. And the custom would have been for the younger son to look forward to a third and the older son two-thirds of the father's inheritance once he died. And until then, obviously, the father continued to earn interest on them, make use of his possessions, do with them as he wished. We enter the story as the younger son asks for what was his in the future, but now. He knows what his rightful inheritance is, but he's not prepared to wait for it. And in the process, he dishonors his father and breaks his heart. Father, give me what is due me now. Literally, I cannot wait for your death. 
Now, I know that many of us will have heard this story before, and so we already have a sense that the son is wrong. But I, wanna, I want us to ask why. He didn't ask for anything above what was due him, right? This was his rightful inheritance. He didn't say, Father, I want all of mine and all of my brother's inheritance. He just asked for his part. So is it just that he was hurtful or is there something more going on here? The problem, I believe, is that the younger son exposes a spirit of entitlement when he asks this question and entitlement squashes relationship. A friend of mine went through a really tough time when we were together at university and she was accountable to me and she um, came and confessed to me one day. She was in a really bad way. She, uh, she felt incredibly guilty and she was in tears and she finally got her words out and she said, Yvette, I can't believe what I'm about to say, um, but my grandma has been really ill and I have been looking forward to her death even hoping for it, because I know that a big inheritance is coming my way when she dies. So Jesus' story isn't so far-fetched. This does happen. My friend was racked with guilt because she knew that the position of her thoughts was to put possession before relationship. The son is the same, He has completely missed the point. He has allowed entitlement to cloud gratitude. The position of, but what do I want? What am I due? Is a deathly poison where Jesus' example is to ask, what can I give? Who can I serve? The son is after what the father can give him more than who the father is. So what are we running for? What are we pursuing? Is it acquisition of things? Is it financial security? Is our prayer life defined by a list of I wants? I am challenged to be someone who comes to the Father with gratitude and praise, not entitlement. So the Father has every right here to refuse the Son. In fact, no one would have expected him in his right mind to part with a third of all of his possessions while he was still alive. It's crazy. But instead, he says yes. He prioritizes the relationship, even though his son doesn't, and gives him what he asks in the hope that he will see his son return to him for him. So we know that entitlement has led the son to a place of rebellion, asking for his inheritance, but what does he do with it? We're told the son heads off to a distant land. Now, this really got me thinking, because I just think, this is so strange. Why? Okay, he wants the money. I get it. Okay, fine. He wants the money. But why does he want to leave his own country? We know enough about the father to know that he's a a loving, kind father. But let's say for for argument's sake that the son has some issue with his father, and he doesn't want to be living with him anymore. Okay, so maybe you would move to another part of the town, or maybe you would move to the next city. How extreme to move to another country. If you wanted to leave Redeemer, although I know none of you do, but if you wanted to leave Redeemer, okay, maybe you would leave Ealing if you were feeling particularly passionate, but would you leave the UK? That feels insane. You see, the son was pursuing independence. I've grown up in a Christian family. My wonderful parents are here this morning. Um, with a very recognizable surname, Yegnazar. 
slightly, slightly different from the very beautiful flower now. Um, but my, my parents are both in full-time ministry. My sisters preach internationally, and they're very accomplished academically. In fact, many of them have preached at Redeemer. And growing up, this was something that I was incredibly proud of, but it was also something that I had to deal with. Everywhere I went, everywhere I went, whether it was teachers at school, churches, conferences, whoever, people recognized my name, and they would associate me with everything they knew about my family. There was always an expectation as soon as I joined school, oh, I know your sisters, you'll be good at school, or that their people were watching me. They, they had an expectation of how I would perform as a Christian, as a Yegnazar. So let's look at the son. In his own land, he still would have been known as his, as his father's son. The family name would have gone with him. People might have recognized him. Beyond that, the country he was in would have known that he was, what, he was, what was expected of him as a Jewish man. He would have had a reputation to uphold. He would have been accountable to the law of the land. There would have been expectation, and his identity would still have been firmly hitched to his family and to his faith. By leaving the country, he was pursuing a life of guilt without accountability. Being a part of his father's lineage called for him to be the best version of himself. It asked for his behavior to demonstrate and uphold the family identity and the Jewish identity, and the son was after independence. But God's heart is for community. God's heart is for family. John 15, 5 verse 8, I think it's going to come up here maybe, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is deadwood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. Independence speaks of a desire for self-fulfillment, self-seeking, self-sufficiency. It's actually incredibly ironic because even in escaping his community, the son relies on his father's money to do it. John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Independence is an absolute lie. We were made for dependence on the Father. And the Father longs for connection with us, just as this Father longed for connection with his Son. The ultimate breaking of his heart was not about the money. Do not misunderstand. The breaking of his heart was about separation. The Father does not move. It's the son that leaves. When we choose to separate ourselves from God, it is though we are leaving our home for a distant land. We were designed to be joined with the father. And when we choose to go our own way, it is us who is responsible for that separation. The father hasn't gone anywhere. He is longing for us to choose family, not to build up our own selves. With him, the harvest is abundant. But separate, we are bound by our guilt, fruitless. So up until now, we've seen the son grab at what the Bible calls his fair share and pursue a life of independence from his family and his country. So what's the, what's the outcome of all this independence? 
a few of the different versions say some different things. Lack of discipline, dissipation, overindulgent, destitution. A physical famine strikes the land. His wallet is physically empty, and it is a physical representation of the spiritual famine in his life. It's exactly as we've just read in John 15. Separation leads to death. He is utterly guilty. He's indulged in sin. He's been a terrible steward of what his father has given him. He's moved from one experience to the next and ended up with absolutely nothing, maybe even less than nothing. He's literally ended up sitting in pig slop, longing for the food of unclean animals. It's a picture of just how far he has come from his Jewish heritage. He literally could not be any lower. There is no more humiliating a situation he could find himself in. No more desperate a set of circumstances. And at the moment when his mouth starts to salivate at the thought of eating the pig's food, a thought comes to him. Even my father's servants have it better than this. Let's just think about that. Even my father's servants have it better. Not I miss my father. Even after all that he has been through, It is still what his father can give him and not his father in and of himself that is the draw. It says he longed to fill his stomach. I don't know about you, in my reading of this, I don't find the son to be repentant. There's nothing said here, a recognition of guilt, only a realization of how he can better his circumstances. His stomach, not his heart, is the driving force. I wonder, how often do we cry out for God when we're at rock bottom? When we find ourselves in dire circumstances? How often often is he just our ticket out of disaster? The Father longs for us to long for him all the time. I'm going to say that again. The Father longs for us to long for him all the time. So we know that hunger is the catalyst here for the son's return home. And we can see when he's writing his speech that even then he's not in for the long haul. He asked for the father to view him as a servant, as hired help. Let's be clear about this. As hired help, you are hired. You still make money. He doesn't say, father, make me your slave, the lowest category. He doesn't come back saying, I'll do whatever it takes, whatever you think is fair. I just want to be back in your home. I just want to be with you, whatever it takes. He literally names his price. There's still an escape plan. I find it crazy. So he writes his speech. He heads home and his heart is still far from the father. Now, this is really important to note here. The son here wasn't just guilty by moral standards, he was guilty by law. A rebellious son wasn't just something frowned upon, it was worthy of the death penalty. Deuteronomy 21 says, the next one up on this slide, when a man has a stubborn son, a real rebel who won't do a thing his mother and father, and te- mother and father tell him, his father and mother shall forcibly bring him before the leaders at the city gate. Then all the men of the town are to throw rocks at him until he's dead. You will have purged the evil pollution from among you. 
So let's remember that Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees. And at this point, this would be just like their idea of perfection. They're rubbing their hands together. They're thinking, finally, a story that Jesus is saying that I can get on board with. The sinner is going to get his comeuppance. I know what the law is. He's rebellious. He'll get stoned. Everything's perfect. Great. So they're excited. And as the son makes his way back to the village, practicing his speech, dreaming of food, he had a death penalty hanging over his head. And the law was waiting to administer justice to a guilty man the minute he crossed the border. But as the son approaches, there is the father. He knows his son. He doesn't need to wait for a better view. He recognizes him. He sees him in the distance. He sees himself in his boy. And he runs out of joy, yes, But he runs because he needs to get to the sun before the sun gets to the village. If he gets to the sun and administers grace before the village can administer justice, his son will be safe. So he runs. (laughs) He flouts every convention of a respected man. He hitches up his skirt and he legs it. He humiliates himself. Megan said earlier, Love pursues us, whatever the cost. He will chase you down. This is that. (laughs) He literally legs it. He runs, he runs, he breaks every rule, and he makes it to his son. And when he gets there, he throws himself upon his son and kisses him. The father kisses his returned son, and his affection stands in the way of the law. What was going to be the son taking on all the judgment actually ended up being the father taking it on instead. The village would have tutted the father, not the son. The Pharisees listening would have been appalled. The son could have written speeches all day long. He could have been the best wordsmith around at that time, but his hands were empty He had absolutely nothing to bring that could contend with the law. It was clear he had signed his own death warrant with his actions, and he needed someone with authority to overcome the law. He needed the father. Later on, when the servant says to the older son, your brother has come back safe and sound, it's not just a nicety like we use it now. Oh, you know, safe and sound. What he means is your father had the authority to literally drag your brother in front of the city leaders and have him stoned because of his rebellious spirit, but he has chosen to show mercy and bring him home, and so he is safe and sound. But the son still doesn't get it. He still thinks his speech will do the trick. He launches in, Father, I don't deserve to be called your son. But before he can even finish, the father is there. Quick, bring him a robe. Bring him the ring. Bring him sandals on his feet. I want to talk a little bit about what these gifts mean. Firstly, the robe speaks to the son's identity. It says he is loved. The first time we see a robe mentioned in the Bible, it is a father giving a gift to his son. Jacob gives Joseph a robe because he is is his most loved son. So this robe is a sign of affection and sonship. Secondly, 
in Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Before the son has had a chance to accomplish anything, the father bestows on him a robe. A robe to say that it is the father's grace that makes him innocent. He is now righteous. His identity was rebellious rule breaker. Now it is righteous son. The ring speaks to his authority. Rings would have been given uh, at that time as a sign of wealth and dignity. It would indicate an imparting of power and authority. We see it um, when Pharaoh literally takes the ring of his own finger to give to Joseph to say that, you know, of his affection for him and also to extend authority over his kingdom. We see it in Esther when the king again gives Mordecai a ring to give him authority over Haman's estate. The son had the family ring placed on his finger, entrusting him with all the father's authority. But this wasn't just any ring of authority. It was the family ring. The son has rejoined the fold. His independence exchanged for connection with the father. The ring brought with it authority because of his father's name. And by wearing it, the son was able to share in his dad's identity. Finally, the sandals. I love the sandals. Only the free got to wear sandals while the slaves walked barefoot. See, the son had been chasing his own pretend freedom in the form of independence, but he is awarded true freedom when he is home with his father. He would have walked home from his travels barefoot and destitute, and he would have expected to stay barefoot when he he got home. And this is the third sign of the father to bestow on him undeserved grace, to elevate him back to sonship and to give him sandals to mark him as free. Love it. The father never asks questions about why he's come back, not angered because of why he chose to or or focused on what he did while he was away. Just the fact that he has returned is enough for him. And the celebration begins, the fattened calf is killed, the guests are invited, the music is loud, the father is delighted. Church, let's not kid ourselves, we are not the ones running. We do not approach God to change his heart or to seek him out. No, we come often with dubious intentions and messed up circumstances. We don't come as whole people presenting our case, we come broken, but... When the Father runs, our hearts are changed. We are accepted and heaven becomes our home. When we say yes to God, we can enjoy the lavishness of his gifts on us. The robe which says we are loved and righteous. The rings, the ring which says we are sons and daughters and have the Father's authority, and the sandals which say we are free indeed. Hallelujah. So, let's turn to the older son. The son who, while the music is playing, is working in the field, toiling instead of celebrating. He hears of his brother's return, and instead of rejoicing because he's been spared from death, he is angry at the lack of justice. 
He has worked and worked. He has served in his father's house. He has obeyed the rules. He stayed within his boundary lines. And he's furious because he thinks he's being shown the same, maybe even less than the brother who ruined everything. How on earth could that be fair? I wonder if the older son would have been so adamant about justice being served to his younger brother if he knew he himself was not justified. He thought his behavior was sufficient. But if he realized just how little he brought to the table, even after all of his following of the law, then he would have realized that justice could not be distributed to his brother without it being distributed to him too. See, while the younger son admits his guilt, the older son insists on his innocence. The truth is that while the younger son physically traveled to a distant land, the older son was just as separate from his father, although he was still on his property. Proximity will not make you innocent. He had toiled in the house for years, but he did not know the heart of his father. He says to the father, here you are killing this fatted calf of my reckless brother, but I've served you all these years and you've never even offered me a goat to celebrate with my friends. I find this so, I find this so sad because I wonder if he'd ever even asked for that goat. (laughs) If he was operating out of relationship, he would have known what the father tells him here. All I have is yours. He would have known his generous heart and he would have freely asked for a feast to share with his friends. But all the time he was behaving as a servant, not as a son who had access to the father. And in the process, he admits that he can never be accepted by the father on his own merit, only by the grace and goodness of his dad. I want to say this really clearly. There may be some of you who are working really hard for the church. You may be coming for years. You may serve on every rota. You may be the first person to put your hand up and you might be the last one to leave. But I want to be really clear. Proximity will not make you innocent. Only faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know the heart of the Father? Have you seen him running? Have you said yes to Jesus? The Father is waiting to extend his grace to you and accept you into family. Rotors will not do it. Both sons were as far as could possibly be. They could both only be accepted by the goodness of the father. We know the younger son is in the house celebrating. The story ends before we see what decision the older son makes. Maybe you're here and you think, I'm a pretty good person. Maybe you're running after justice. Maybe you feel you just don't need any of this. The truth is, the world's measure of success and morality is laughable compared with a holy God. We are spiritually wading in pig's troughs. We are one revelation away from waking up to our destitution. We have nothing to offer in and of ourselves. Guys, we are guilty. We have made a mess. Nothing we have done is because of our own strength or goodness. But see the Father here. He doesn't just celebrate the younger son's return, and I love this. He leaves the party for the older son. If you are here and you do not know the gracious acceptance by the father, let me tell you. He has noticed your absence. He has left the party 
and he wants to come and bring you home, what will be your answer? Edward's going to come in and give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and say yes to the Father. I cannot tell you how good that decision would be. (laughs) There's another few groups of people who I'd like to speak to. And if you feel like you connect with any one of these groups, I would love you to get prayer. There'll be the prayer team later on at the side. I would love you. Don't leave. (laughs) Don't leave the same. Get prayer. Firstly, I want to speak to those who are pursuing independence. And this could be in two ways. Maybe you're in church and you feel you've said yes to God, but you feel like you're separate from the family. You're your own entity. You rely on yourself and you're reluctant to be vulnerable and connect with family here. I want to encourage you that God is father and we are brothers and sisters. Get prayer. Come to the family. Secondly, for those, again, who are pursuing independence, maybe you feel you have struggled to allow yourself the humility of fully depending on God and accepting that without him you can do nothing. I want to encourage you today to just find that incredible release that comes from handing everything over to God and depending on him. Secondly, I want to speak to those who are racked with guilt. Maybe you are just paralyzed by trying to hit every standard, trying to match up. Maybe you feel there's no way that you and all that you have done could ever approach a holy God. I would love to pray for you this morning. There is a God who is bigger than everything you have or could ever do. And he wants to accept you and make you clean and righteous this morning. And thirdly, I want to speak to those who struggle with administering justice. Maybe you struggle with judgment. Maybe you look at your brothers and sisters and you just feel a real lack of compassion when they mess up. I would love to pray for you this morning, for you to experience a revelation of the grace that God has given you and fresh compassion and capacity for grace for others. I think those three things are just going to stay up there. So while Edward comes and speaks to us and leads us with Sarah in the next bit, I'd encourage you to just keep praying and asking God what he wants to say to you.